Thank you, Lindsay. I want to invite you to join me in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As you find your place there, um, I know Matt already mentioned it. Um, our brother Gene Robinson went home to be with the Lord uh, pretty unexpectedly on, uh, on Friday evening. And um, we, um, we just want to invite you to pray for the family, pray for Dorothy and um, the, the services. You can find the information online, but uh, in, in case you haven't found it or you want to just jot it down right now, uh, his, his visitation will be at the O'Laughlin Funeral Home uh, tomorrow. That's in, that's in Coleman um, from 2 to 4 and also from 6 to 8, 2 to 4 p.m., 6 to 8 p.m., and then his, his service will be here at the church on Tuesday. Um, we'll have some more visitation at 10 a.m., and then the service will be at 11 with a luncheon to follow. And if, if you're available, you can make it. We would love for you to be here to celebrate the life of this, this precious man of God. Um, and again, just please keep the family in your prayers and encourage them uh, as you have the opportunity to do so. The passage that Lindsay read for us from the words of Jesus remind us and, and, and point out to us a crucial truth that we as believers need to be on guard against those who would distort the word of God. Jesus says, watch out, uh, be on guard against false prophets. And we come to this passage here in Philippians, and, uh, and I'm, I'm so thankful for what our brother Jeff shared last week uh, about brokenness from these verses. And I told him, I said, I'm going to circle back because I know you didn't have a chance to look at, at verse 2. I just felt led to come back to this, this, um, this text and uh, touch on this important truth. It's not something we talk about all the time, but Paul says here in Philippians 3, 2, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then if you jump ahead to verse 18, he says this, for I have often told you, and now I say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they're focused on earthly things. Now, scholars are a little bit divided over whether or not Paul is talking about the same group of people in verse 2 as he is in verse 18 and 19. Verse 2, it's clear that the, the, the the teachers are bringing some kind of distortion of the gospel that's tied to Judaism. Um, the other group, we're not really sure. Could be the same group. I tend to think it is. But it could also be people who had been a part of the Philippians congregation, the, the church there, and had walked away for whatever reason. But it seems like there, even in these verses 18 and 19, he's talking about, about those who have, have distorted the gospel. He says, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And in, in Paul here, in, 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 this, in these brief verses, he doesn't make it a big highlight. It must not have been a significant thing. There are other books of the Bible, uh, other epistles, where there's much more of a spotlight on dealing with false, te false teachers, and we're going to touch on them briefly this morning. Uh, the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that they were on the lookout for those who would change and distort the message of the truth. I still remember... I don't remember all the details. I was a, I was a kid, uh, not really paying attention, and it, it wasn't all my business or anything. But I, we had just started going to a new church when I was, I was about 
15 at the time, been there about a year, and there was a sweet couple at the church, Denny and Sue. When I was as a teenager, they seemed like a really old couple. In reality, they were probably in their late 50s or early 60s, but it seemed like <laughs> that they were just age gap, but they just, there was this, they just had this, this love for us. They were so kind. They were always serving as greeters when you walked in. Denny and Sue were always there, and they had, they had just gotten saved about a year prior. They, the, the pastor had led them to Christ, and he had been discipling them and spending time with them and loving on them, and they were just really connected, really involved, and uh, in that brief time I got to know them, they were just a, an amazing couple. Well, one day, Denny and Sue were gone, and a couple weeks later, we still hadn't seen them, and I'll, I'll never forget, and I, and I don't remember anything else that the pastor said that day, um, but I, I remember this. He got up, and he he, he interrupted the normal flow of service. You know, we always have our, you know, your songs and your greeting time and then a sermon and, and whatever, whatever point of the, the, the service he did it, it interrupted the flow. So he immediately had my attention. And he said, I want you to know something. Um, Denny, Denny and Sue have, have left and they have, they have begun to follow this false teacher that's in the area. And, and, I, and I'll never forget because um, it wasn't a, a bashing session. Like the pastor didn't address from the pulpit every time a family left. He didn't rip this guy to shreds whom they were following. But it was a warning. It, it was, and, and he described a little bit, and I don't remember the details. I tried to email a few people this week who were there, and, and I, I didn't hear back. But I, he, he began to describe the, the the, the, the teaching that this guy was just, he was kind of going around and it was a, it was a, a very self-focused uh, teaching. It was, a, it was a cult that this guy was beginning to develop. And Denny had, Sue had gotten sucked into it. And despite the, the pastors pursuing them and warnings and trying to show them the difference between what this guy was teaching and the word of God, they still walked away. And this pastor, through tears, uh, said that they've, they've, they've turned away from the faith. And he warned his flock. He warned us to be on the lookout, to watch out. And like I said, I don't remember all the details. I just remember as a 15-year-old kid sitting there thinking, this, this is what a shepherd's supposed to do. This is a shepherd warning his flock about the wolves. This is a shepherd who is putting into practice what it means to watch out, to be on guard. I don't know whatever happened to Denny and Sue, never, never heard. Don't know if they turned back to Christ. I don't know the rest of the story. But I know that the exhortation that the Apostle Paul has here applies to us. I've seen it again and again, how we need to be on guard. And so, I, um, if you're filling out the notes, I, I didn't put a lot of what I'm going to say on the screen, but I want to just start off with this, the, the description of the false teachers. And I would just say this, we, we don't have a lot of details here. Other passages and other churches were dealing with false teachers in ways that the, the writers of those letters were a lot more descriptive. But the Apostle Paul here tells us this. He says, watch out for the dogs. We call, he calls them dogs. Um, by the way, um, from our culture where we uh, love and adore dogs, we buy pet costumes, we spend millions of dollars a year taking care of our pets. We did a show of hands, probably the majority, at least half this room has, has little animals that we've allowed to live in our homes for whatever absurd reason. Um, but in the first century culture, uh, this, a, a dog was an extremely derogatory thing to be called. Don't imagine the little puppies that you see in movies or that you have as your own pets. A, a dogs were considered, they were, they were wild animals that, 
that roved around the street. They were mangy. They were, they were vicious. You, 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 didn't, you didn't send your kids out to go pet the, the stray dog. Uh, this, they, they, were, they were nasty. They were filthy. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a serious put down to be called a dog. And, uh, and he wanted them to know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm so serious about this. Like these guys that are, that are distorting the gospel, they're, they're, they're mangy scavengers. They're out there wandering around just looking for garbage to gobble up. They're, they're, they're nasty and they're destructive. Um, interestingly, uh, Paul's calling them names. Uh, Jesus did this too. Remember when he called the Pharisees? I, I think it's in Matthew 23 maybe where he's like, you guys are whitewashed tombs. On the outside you look good, all dressed up pretty. But inside, you're full of dead man bones. There are times where those who are distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ, you just need to call a spade a spade. Paul said, you guys are, you guys are wolves. Uh, th- this is, like, he, he didn't want it all to sugarcoat this. And he says, he says, watch out for the evil workers. Again, not pulling punches. Uh, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's, that's where we get the idea that they're probably Jewish ties to, to the Jewish religion, that, that term probably was referring to circumcision. Most likely, these were teachers who were requiring people to be circumcised in order to be a true Christian. And Paul deals with that elsewhere and says, listen, that's distorting the gospel. That's adding to salvation by faith through Jesus Christ. Um, if you go down in verse 19, again, if this is the same group of people as in verse 2, he says, their end is their destruction. Uh, their God is in their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. That just emphasizes that they're in it for themselves to satisfy their own cravings. He says they're focused on earthly things. We'll see a little bit more of that in a moment. But that's, that's how Paul describes these false teachers. And then, and then we see in this passage also the danger of false teachers. Paul calls them in verse 18, enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, Paul is not just... Um, He's not blowing something out of proportion. He's not just uh, taking this little, he's not making a mountain out of a molehill here. He's, he's, he's saying what it is. These teachers are opposed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul doesn't throw around the term false teacher lightly here. He, he's, he's not just talking about someone he disagrees with. I remember one time I foolishly got involved in a debate on Facebook. And I know it's foolish because nobody has ever gets on Facebook and is like, oh, you've changed my mind. Thank you for your wise words of counsel, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, th- this guy and I were disagreeing about the end times, and, and he, he called me a false teacher, and that really made me mad because I'm like, you're ignorant. That's not a false teacher. Like, here are the, the, here's the core of the Christian faith, and if I'm teaching something separate from that, yes, I'm a false teacher. But like there are other things that I think are important to study and know about and to have, have decided positions on, but they're not first-tier importance. They're not centered around the gospel, the, 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 the trinity, salvation by faith alone through Christ alone. These things are, these things are at the core, uh, the core truths of Christianity. Like if you take them out, you're not, you're not a Christian. I mean, you're not, you're not believing in the Christian faith. But then there are these lower-level things about like, church membership, or even like the mode of baptism, or what you believe about the end times, and some of these things that, like, they're, they're, they're good to, to believe and have a fixed position, but we can agree to disagree on some of these things. And Paul was not nitpicking about little secondary or tertiary matters and, and starting fights here. No, no, no. He says, listen, these people are enemies of the cross. 
They don't preach the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul was not trying to start fights unnecessarily. Paul took false teachers with the utmost seriousness. Have you ever read Galatians 1? Do you remember what he says there with those who were, who were again, similar to what was happening here in, um, in Philippi? Those false teachers were adding a, a circumcision and adding works to the gospel. And Paul says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. <laughs> Listen to what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we've said before, I say now again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, a curse be upon him. That's how serious Paul was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He held it in such high esteem that he says, listen, these, these people are accursed. They're leading you astray. That's why he calls these believers here dogs. He's not just trying to start unnecessary fights. He's not just being a bully. He says, listen, they are pulling you away from Jesus. They are teaching a false gospel. And that's the danger, that we be led away from Jesus Christ and his goodness. And so with our response to false teachers, and that's what we'll spend the rest of our time here this morning, that our response to false teachers is, uh, I, I wrote down three things, and the, the first one we'll spend a bit of time here on, and, and, the, and the first one is to watch out. We're called to watch out. He says it three times in verse two. Uh, he uses the verb, same verb each time, watch out, watch out, watch out. Be on the lookout, be alert. Uh, this morning, um, my youngest son, Owen, was up bright and early, he was having trouble sleeping, and he wanted to come to, come to church with me. Um, and, and I said, listen, we're going to get there kind of early. There's not going to be anybody there. That's okay. I, I, I got stuff I can do. Well, so he was in, in reading right here across the hallway, and he saw Dan's headlights coming in as Dan was pulling in. And he and Dan have this thing. They love to scare each other. And so Owen, uh, he kind of peeked out the window, and then I was, I was in my office reading, and, and I, I heard uh, Dan's office door open and close real quick. And I'm like, oh, that little sneaker. So he, had, he left the light off in Dan's office and, uh, and was waiting to scare Dan as soon as he walked in his office. Dan had seen his little lady eyes through the windows, <laughs> and Dan was ready. So Dan burst in the door thinking that maybe he was hiding just behind this door. Didn't see him, and he peeks in my office. He's like, where is he? And I, 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 I narked him out. I said, he's, he's in your office. He's waiting for you. <laughs> And so Dan burst in there and, and turned the tables on him. Dan was alert. Dan was ready. He knows what the little rascal will do. He, he saw the eyes in the window. He knew what was coming. He knew that Owen was up to something. And, then, and, and we're called here in this passage to have the same alertness. Paul, like, we're used to empty warnings. Like, we're, we're so flooded with messages on our phones and on social media and on the internet every day. Articles that proclaim that they must be read. These, this, this, this one product will change your life. Like, these overhyped statements. Uh, clickbait, right, is what we call them. Like, they're just, like, trying to, trying to hit you hard and saying, you cannot live without clicking on this link right here or buying this product. We're, we're so used to these over-the-top warnings that we can get desensitized. Paul here is not going over the top. He's not overselling something. He says, listen, you need to be alert for this. 
He's not like, it's not like me getting up here this morning and saying, hey, everybody, you need, as you go home today, you need to watch out for rabid toucans. They're all over the place. You'll never know where they're going to hit you. Like, you're like, I've never seen a toucan in my life. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we would tune out to something like that. But Paul here doesn't want us to tune out. He wants us to be alert. And I came across an article that I did a good job of summarizing some of the different flavors of false teaching that are addressed in the, in the New Testament. And so as we're thinking about this idea of watching out, I want to just touch on, uh, there's seven of them. I just want to touch on them as briefly as I can uh, to give us an idea of what we need to be looking for. And I didn't put this up on the screen, but if you want to jot it down on the side or whatever, go, go right ahead. Uh, the, the first one is the heretic. Uh, the heretic is probably the most prominent, perhaps the most dangerous of the false teachers. Peter, Peter warned about the heretic in 2 Peter 2.1. When he said, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. This is probably the type of person that drew Denny and Sue away from Jesus Christ. This is the person that brings another gospel, what we saw in Galatians 1 there. From the church's earliest days, they've been afflicted with those who would distort the gospel. Read the letters and, and, and look for it. Read the New Testament and look for how many times, even Jesus, before you get to the gospels, how many times Jesus warns against those who would distort the truth. Second Peter deals with it a ton. Second Timothy, Jude, it's all over the place. This warning on be on the alert, those who would distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. It started early in the church uh, with Gnostics, and you had Arius, and even into modern day with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, there are those who tamper with, as Jude says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We need to be on the alert for the heretics. A second one is the charlatan. The charlatan. We're all familiar with the charlatan, the person that's in it for money. We've all seen the TV preacher or the books at the bookstore, that, that everything, just usually there's a Beautifully manicured individuals, huge white teeth and perfect hair. And they've got a promise for you that if you just do, uh, just give just enough money, God will bless you spiritually. God will take care of you. If you just make these, you know, five easy payments of $199.99. This is not new. We're all familiar with it. Sometimes we even chuckle at it and laugh a little bit. Because we see some of the craziness, these guys, these pastors with personal jets. Not that I would complain if one of you said, hey, you're welcome to use my personal jet. I'm not going to turn that down. But am amassing that kind of wealth, having a ministry where you're, like to borrow Jesus' picture, you're building bigger barns, bigger cars, bigger bank accounts. Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. In describing some of these people, he said they imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. And godliness is a way to material gain. The charlatan is only interested in the Christian faith to the extent that it can fill his wallet. And we see this time and time again. We need to be alert. The third one, the article I read noted, was the false prophet. The prophet claims to be gifted by God to speak fresh revelation outside of Scripture, new and authoritative doctrine. Now, we're not talking about the New Testament gift of prophecy, which I think more has to do with, with an, an exhortation type of a, a view. But this is someone who claims to hear message from God and then claims to have 
God's will for your life if you just listen to them. God told me to tell you that sort of a thing. And they put it on par with the word of God. Now, we've all had those sense where God's speaking to us. And we say, hey, listen, I, I sense God is leading me to do this. I sense God is saying this right now. That's different. The false prophet is God has said, you need to listen because God told me this. And, and that, it's that sort of declarative, authoritative statement that, that becomes on par with the word of God. John warns us in 1 John 4, 1, he says, dear, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The fourth one is the abuser. The abuser. The abuser uses his position of leadership to take advantage of other people. Often, he takes advantage of them to feed upon sexual lust, though it may be also for power and control. Both Peter and Jude warned about this. Um, in, in Jude 4, we read where he says, for some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They're ungodly, turning the grace of God into sensuality, and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. The abuser claims that he's tending souls but he's always on the lookout for people to take advantage of. Unfortunately, there are far too many stories of the abuser in the church today. Far too many situations of, of pastors and other church leaders using that position of power to manipulate people, to take advantage of people. And, and, and the apostles have warned them, this is not just a problem that's showed up in the Catholic Church. This isn't a problem that's just showed up in a certain denomination or just in the last 75 years. This problem existed in Paul's day. There were those who saw ministry as an opportunity to pray on those who were hurting and work their way into their lives so that they could manipulate and use them for their own selfish gain. We need to be on the lookout for the abuser. Fifthly, there is the divider. The divider. The divider uses false doctrine to disrupt or destroy a church, loves being in the midst of fights. You ever met somebody like that? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to point at anybody or don't be nudging anybody right now in the pews, but we've all met people who just love to fight, who just love to start stuff, who love to poke and prod and just love to be in the fray. They love conflict. They especially will love to kind of just, just kind of roll the, the, the grenade into the room and then walk away. And just see what happens. See all the destruction unfold. And the church, I mean, for 2,000 years, the church has wrestled with this. The New Testament over and over and over again, including the book we're studying, has exhortations to unity, to serve one another, to get along, to be humble with one another. And, and chapter 2 gave us this beautiful picture of how Jesus modeled that for us. The, the, the divider loves loves to destroy that unity. Jude, in Jude 18, he says, in the end times there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the Spirit. Over and over and over again we see this. Again, this isn't talking about having healthy debate or uh, good conversations. It doesn't mean that we don't disagree about things from time to time. That, that's, that's not at all what we're talking about here. 
This false teacher brings strife, not love. His heartbeat is to generate factions, not unity. He wants discord, not harmony. Good, healthy conflict is always done out of love with a place to find mutual common ground. The, the false teacher that comes to bring discord is not like that. And, I, and I've had this a couple times over the years. Usually it starts with someone will come in and right their first or second Sunday, I usually get an email after the church. And they begin taking pot shots at people. This person didn't greet me well. This person, did, did, did you know about this? Like, I know this person, I, I didn't realize they actually came to church. Did you know they're a part of your church? And you know how terrible they are? And, like, and it's just, like, by, by the way, who are you? Hi, hi, have we met? Like, it's just this, you can see right off the bat, their goal is to divide. And you, you just gotta, you gotta squelch that. Like, it's not rude to say, like, stop it. <laughs> what, what's your purpose here? Like, are, are you bringing up this source of frustration to help find common ground, to build unity? Is it coming from a place of love, or are you looking to tear down and destroy? Love is always the litmus test. Number six, I didn't come up, I didn't come up with this list, but I, I love this, this title here. Uh, number six is the tickler. The tickler. No, that's not some weird superhero. The tickler is the person, and it's borrowing from the old King James from 2 Timothy 4, who tickles people's ears. The, uh, a, a more updated translation, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, For a time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they'll multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. This, the tickler is someone who, who itches where we want to be scratched, who, who comes alongside and says, I have something that you want to hear today. And one of the, one of the key ways that you can spot a, a, a tickler, spot someone who is, who is just bringing this, this message of feel-goodism, is if, if, you're never, if you're never ever thinking about sin and repentance. If you're ever, never ever confessing things, if you're never ever coming to a place where you're like, oh my goodness, I, I need to deal with this before Jesus. The, the, the tickler is someone who comes and tells us what we want to hear. You're fine. You're a superstar. You're a rock star. You can do this. You're going to make it. You're, you're, you've, you've got it all under control. It's all up to you. Live your own truth. All these, all these things that, 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 that may even sound spiritual and they may tack some Bible verses on there. But it's all things at the end of the day, what our sinful heart wants to hear about itself. That, that, that it's okay, that we're not, we're not so bad, that I can do this without Jesus. The tickler, just like the false prophets in Jeremiah's day, says, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Yes, there is the overcorrection. I've been in churches that go overboard on beating people up because of sin. Every sermon is about hell. Uh, I, I get that. But, but these folks are those who, who won't talk about sin. They talk about happiness, and God wants, usually it's tied into health and wealth. God wants you to have all these things. There's a lot of talk about heaven, but nothing about hell. He gives us what he wants us to hear, what we want to hear. It's a partial gospel which becomes no gospel at all. And then finally, there's the speculator. The speculator. The speculator, I bumped into this a time or two throughout my years as a pastor. 
Speculator is someone who's obsessed with novelty, originality, and speculation. They, they want to have what they think is the, uh, a new and original thought. Like, like in 2,000 years of church history that nobody in combing the Word of God has discovered this, whatever this is. A lot of times it's centered around end times or secret messages. I, I remember having a book when I was in high school. I was fascinated, saw this on the bookshelf of the Christian, store, Christian bookstore, bought it. And if, if you lined up certain Bible passages in certain ways, you could get secret hidden messages, like having the decoder ring, you know, from the box of cereal or whatever back in the day. Like, <laughs> nobody under, like, 30 knows anything about that, but you're missing out. Probably under 40, I don't know, it's been a while. Um, and, 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 and this is still out there. You can Google it. There are, you can, there are YouTube channels devoted to secret hidden messages in the Bible. This, this, this new thing that, like, well, this newspaper headline today said this about Russia and whatever, so let's find that in Revelation somewhere. They always just want the new thing. This person often, especially if their focus is end times, often making predictions about when Jesus is going to come back. This is what Paul told Timothy in, in, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 20 and 21, is a contrary, irreverent babbler. They usually are all over the page and where they're, they're at. They've got something new all the time. These are seven different types of false teachers that we're supposed to be on the watch for, on the lookout, to stand guard for, to pay attention, that we not be led astray to a different gospel. I said there were three things that we're supposed to do with regards to false teachers. That first one was watch out, and I, and I listed seven different areas where we might see those false teachers or seven different ways they might manifest themselves. And I just want to briefly mention two other things that we need to do. First one is to watch out. And then secondly, I want to say this. We need to weep. We need to weep. It's easy to stand back with pride and say, ah, I'm not like them, or we shouldn't listen to them. I'm way better than them. But that's not what Paul did. Did you catch in verse 18 his response? I have told you, I have often told you, and I now say it again with tears. I have a feeling that that was not hyperbole. I can see Paul etching this letter on parchment and, and tears dropping down his cheeks onto the page. His heart broken. Maybe these are people that he knew personally, had shared Christ with, and they started off and then began to wander away. I think Paul was truly broken. Paul, Paul was a man of tears. Truth should not make us more proud. Truth must be married to love. I love what one writer says. He wrote, Paul was a great weeper. He wept over those whom he taught and over those whom he rebuked. Here he weeps for those against whom he must warn. In him was a sincere union of truth and love. Paul engaged in controversy, but he was no hard-faced controversialist. He taught the truth, but he was not a detached, disinterested teacher. He warned about error, but he wept over those who held it. What an example to us. So often when I see YouTube videos or pastors in sermons who are preaching against false teaching, there's just this, there's this hardness and even some pride, it feels like, in this, I, I know the truth, these people don't, watch out for them. And yes, his, his warning is spot on, but so often our hearts can, can develop a, a, a pride and the love is not there anymore. And, and, and you watch even Jesus in his hard words for the Pharisee, he never, Pharisees, he never stopped loving them. 
It wasn't just this, this cold exercise where he was blasting them. He loved them, and he pursued them, even though he had harsh words for them. My brothers and sisters, we should weep over those who distort the gospel. We must pray as we weep. We must pray with broken hearts that they'll turn and repent, even as we're warning one another to stay away uh, from their teachings. Pray that they'll turn back to Christ. And then the final way that we need to respond to false teachers is to continuously rehearse the gospel. Continuously rehearse the gospel. We can't oversaturate our hearts and minds with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't think about Jesus too much. We can't know too much about and, 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 and pray through his glorious gift of his life too much. We can't think too deeply about his resurrection for us. Paul had laid the groundwork for the Philippians, and he says here in verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, join in, 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 join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. That means not only do we dig into the truth and understand the gospel, but we surround ourselves with the community of the gospelized with others who are walking in truth so that we can encourage and exhort one another and help each other on this journey. None of us are supposed to be like out on our own. The, 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 the wolf, I mean, you watch any of these nature documentaries or any of these, I, I have a couple of feeds I'm subscribed to that will show up because they're always fascinating. It never gets old watching that lion take down that poor gazelle or whatever. Like, I, I never get tired of these nature videos. I know, it's kind of sick. But where do they go? Do they go after the pack? They go for that one that's, that's strayed. They, 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 they find or try to isolate one before they attack. The enemy is no different. False teachers are no different. When we are staying in community, encouraging each other, building each other up in the word, sharing with one another, we are much less prone to being led astray to the enemy's attacks. We need to rehearse the gospel. Jesus and his cross and the resurrection is always the remedy for false teaching. All across the board, all seven of these different false teachers, the best way to spot them is what are they saying about Jesus? If they're not talking about Jesus, they're probably a false teacher. If they're saying things about Jesus that don't seem to line up with what you know in the word, they're a false teacher. They always will, will go wrong at some point when it comes to Jesus. Jesus stops being front and center. Or they're distorting and they pick, pick and choose a few things that Jesus says. It always starts with twisting the person and work and message of Jesus when it comes to false teachers. The writer of Hebrews, I read this this morning and I added it in my notes. This, this verse just reminded me that we need the gospel every day. In Hebrews 13, 9, I love this verse. If you're an underliner or a highlighter or a marker at all in your Bibles, um, I, I encourage you to underline Hebrews 13, 9. He says, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Okay, no, that's what Paul is talking to us about in Philippians. But listen to his remedy. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. I love that phrase. Every single one of us, every day, needs our hearts strengthened by the grace of Jesus. There's none of us who have graduated from grace. There's none of us who are on to a different education, a different message, a better story. We need our hearts strengthened daily by the grace of Jesus Christ. 
preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding us that we're sinners. We were, we were born separated from God, and, and, and we can't do this on our own. We needed to come to him in repentance and receive forgiveness from the only one who could truly forgive us, God himself. Casting ourselves upon him, the one who loves us enough that he died upon the cross to pay for our sins and to rise again from the dead, conquering death and sin. And we preach this to ourselves again and again. We come again and again to the foot of the cross. Paul called these false teachers enemies of the cross of Christ. And the reason that that's such a damning charge is because these teachers had cut the legs out from beneath themselves. They'd taken away the very key to the hope. They'd taken away the cornerstone of the message. They had ceased believing, like Paul says in Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The cross. And what Jesus accomplished in the cross and the resurrection is our hope. Bishop Hanley Mole died in 1920. He wrote a lot, wrote some commentaries, preached for many, many years. And just a year before he passed, January of 1919, he wrote a note to his nephew, and this is what he said. I've often prayed that daily and to the end, I may live as in a tent pitched between the cross and the grave of our Lord. The empty cross, symbol and seal of his finished work. His finished work of sacrifice and redemption. The empty grave, likewise evidence the pledge of eternal victory for us over the last enemy, death. And that our life is hid with him in God. And he said to his nephew, may your tent be ever there also. May we stay anchored in that ground between the cross and the resurrection, holding both, holding fast, believing that the gospel is our cornerstone. He wrote this little poem that went along with what he exhorted his nephew with. And he says, safe sheltered from alarm and loss, I sit within my quiet tent, Twixt here a grave and there a cross, my days and nights in peace are spent. Peace, grace, and glory now he gives, fair fruits of his unfathomed woes. And with me in my tent he lives, the lamb that, di that died, the life that rose. My brothers and sisters, this morning we get a chance to celebrate the Lord's table together and lift our eyes to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cornerstone, the anchor for our souls, the gospel enacted in front of us in, in, the, in the bread and in the juice as, as we walk through together this refreshment of Jesus' loving sacrifice and his powerful resurrection from the dead. We're reminded as we take of the bread and the juice of the life that is given to us in Christ and the hope that we have as we celebrate together. If you've never had communion here before, I just, just want to note, uh, you don't have to be a member here. If, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've, if you've grasped and believed in him as your savior, you know this hope that we're talking about this morning. We invite you to the table. By the way, if you don't yet, don't come to the table, but come up front and talk to us. We would love to talk to you about Jesus and his love for you and his saving grace. Um, each table just formed two lines. Um, 
I think over at this table, we have some gluten-free bread, if that's helped to you. There's some plates up there for, uh, those are offering plates that if you feel led to give, our, our normal offering boxes are on the back wall, but if you do feel led to give, that money there goes to, um, to help those in our church family who experience need. It's our benevolence fund, if you feel led to give that way. I want to just take a moment here and give us a chance to um, turn our eyes to Jesus, to continue in meditation upon the cross, the gospel, the good news, and on Jesus who has loved you with an eternal love. As we prepare to take the Lord's table together, just express what's on your heart before him. There's going to be a moment of quiet to do that today. Father, your, your word reminds us that it's good for our hearts to be strengthened with grace. Oh, how our hearts need your grace today. I don't, I don't know the shape of each person's heart, but I do know this, that every single person in the room, in this room, needs your grace today. No matter what's going on, we just thank you for the abundance of your favor and kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And we say thank you, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and, and, and apply the grace of God to each heart in the way that they need it today. Some hearts here are grieving. Some hearts here are hardened. Some hearts here are, are hopeful. Some hearts... Some hearts are struggling with sin. Some hearts are, have, just, have come in filled with joy. Whatever that grace looks like, God, I pray that you would speak to you and, and, and grip each of us with the glorious good news that we have a Savior who loved us so much that he would shed his blood for our sins. Allow his body to be broken on our behalf as he died in our place and then rose again three days later. May we embrace him in a fresh way through faith today. Father, I pray that the bread and the juice, as they point us to something greater, would strengthen and nourish our hearts in a mysterious but real way today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for your love for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come.
this prayer. Church, let's do it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We don't always do a good job of saying this, but at the end of the service, if you need somebody to pray with you, we're here. We'd like nothing more than to go before the Lord with you on your petition. But as we dis dismiss this week, we say, now Yahweh, now may Yahweh, the unchanging and everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who never faints or grows weary, may this God increase and renew your strength so that you can go on walking faithfully, whether in the light or in the darkness. Amen. Love you, church.